Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. Are you ready for global cryptocurrency money laundering regulations? CypherTrace secures the crypto economy with powerful AML tools for exchanges, crypto businesses, and regulators. My guest today is Jeff Coughlin, staff writer at Forbes and my former colleague. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me, Laura. Great to be on here. You wrote a fantastic article this week in which you pointed out what had been obvious for quite a while now, but no one had really details, which is that consensus is kind of a mess. And full disclosure, consensus did sponsor my podcast at some point. Jeff, what's going on at consensus? Yeah, so a lot, a great deal. And you know, when we started talking to them in August, I wasn't sure, I really wasn't sure what angle the story would take or what to make of them. Um, I spoke with Joe and started to learn about all the different projects. And, you know, as, as we got deeper and deeper into the reporting and we realized some things around the state of the projects, the state of adoption in the Ethereum ecosystem, uh, the organizational structure, uh, we started to realize, we started to become more skeptical, essentially, of, of the business being sustainable as it, as it currently is. And I think we saw some more news, um, today. I don't want to jump ahead too much, but around, around layoffs. And so, yeah, there's a lot going on there. Absolutely. Oh, interesting. So you didn't even go into this thinking like, because, yeah. So from my perspective, I've actually thought kind of like for the last year or so, just if I were to contrast consensus with Coinbase, you know, consensus, ha or, sorry, Coinbase has about maybe half the employees, 500 to 600 versus like 1200 consensus. Um, recently, it, you know, uh, got a valuation of 8 billion. I forget what it was a year ago, maybe like a billion. And now it has, I think, about 25 million customers. A year ago, it had maybe about 15 million. And they had, at least a year ago, only raised maybe about a quarter billion, and now it's about half a billion. Um, but then if I were to contrast that with consensus, it's like, you know, obviously, you know, like I said, the valuation and the number of customers really shows that they've gotten some traction, that, you know, they're doing well. And meanwhile, consensus has Joe Lubin's billions, and yet it has 1,200 employees, but like kind of like no successes, pretty much no revenue, very few users. So did I did I get all that right? Like, do you feel like there's anything they can point to that they've done so far? And yeah, yeah. Yeah. So no, it's a great question. I think that the things that we're, among the people we talked to, the, the biggest successes have been the developer tools. So tools like Infura and MetaMask, which really allow access to Ethereum and are widely used. Um, so those have been among the biggest successes in terms of adoption. 
there have been some others, you know, some accounting software, which has some revenue accounting software for crypto transactions. Uh, Collido is an interesting uh, kind of enterprise blockchain spoke that they have. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I feel a similar way in terms of when you look across all of the spokes, there are a lot of them that don't have, they have very little adoption and it's, it's unclear how they would be self-sustaining in terms of revenue or profit. And so they're doing, you know, they're, they're spread very thinly across many different things and it's very early in the ecosystem. They're, they're spread, spreading themselves very thinly and pushing hard on the gas at a time where there's not a lot of adoption. And so that I think has created a, a difficult situation for them. And for those developer tools, do those bring in revenue? Not yet. They don't. So in Fura, they've talked about, they've said they're going to start charging for, for customers. They're going to start charging customers for access, um, but not yet. And so that's a challenge too. When you have a tool that you've offered for free for a long time, getting people to pay for it is is not always easy. And how do you think it got to this point? How did they get so big and yet just it, like, why didn't they correct course earlier? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great question. I think that, you know, one part of it is the the market dynamics are, are very unusual. So it being funded completely um, by Joe Lubin um, based on his early investments in crypto, that creates a really different dynamic. You know, when you think about a traditional independent startup, they have a lot of hurdles they have to jump over in terms of either raising funding or bootstrapping and, you know, gaining traction and then self-sustaining themselves. And so traditional independent startups have all these market-based checks and hurdles they have to jump over. But with consensus, it was really Joe just funding them based on ideas that he thought were interesting and potentially promising in the longer term. Um, and there weren't these these hurdles that they had to jump over. And so I think it created a situation where he was able to they were able to fund things that traditionally wouldn't wouldn't get as far. Yeah. And so do you feel like in that sense a lot of this just comes from the top? It was sort of like, you know, earlier when I talked about the contrast with Coinbase, obviously they have this duty to try to provide a return to their investors, but with Joe you know, I guess maybe because he was already a multi-billionaire, he sort of felt like, ah, you know, I feel like funding this, therefore I'm going to do it. Do, do you think, is that where that lack of focus came from? Yeah, I think so. I think that's, I think that's fair. And I think that, yeah, not having investors, not having anyone you're accountable to makes it a lot easier to go ahead and just pursue the ideas that you think are personally the most interesting without, you know, bouncing them off of um, other people like investors or who might say, wait, let's, let's hold off on this. And I mean, I think that he's really, one of the ways he described it was in the early days of the internet, there were no tools for building web businesses. And that's a situation today with blockchain, there aren't tools. And so we're in a land grab to try to create these tools and help people and but the issue is, and so, you know, they're trying to build a whole e ecosystem, but the issue that I think, you know, creates a lot of difficulty is there's not much adoption yet. And so investing so much at a time where it's so early is, is very risky. What are some of the more outrageous examples of the kinds of waste that were at consensus? Sure. So 
You know, and and I don't think I think that Joe, you know, he meant well and he means well, obviously, and he he truly believes that these applications are going to do things like, you know, disrupt economies, eliminate middlemen. I think that, but some examples that come to mind, one of them we mentioned in the story was Fathom. So it's essentially, it has this mission of trying to essentially disrupt college degrees. And so, you know, they believe that the the system of college degrees and the way people accredit themselves today is unfair and um, and not good. And, and that may be right, but the approach they're taking is building essentially a a crypto platform where users will, will, I believe, have to stake tokens in order to then vote on whether someone indeed has the skill that they're saying they do. So let's say you're a blockchain engineer. You go on Fathom and say, I have, um, you know, I am a skilled blockchain engineer. Other people then can vote and verify that you do have these skills. And, you know, to me, what struck me is the challenge of getting enough people to actually use this. Um, it just seems extremely difficult. And the complexity of designing a system where it's almost like its own little economy, the complexity of that seems, again, really difficult. So that was one of the, the ones that, um, that stuck out to me. Yeah, I think another one was the asteroid mining. Yes. I don't even remember what that had to do with blockchain or Ethereum. <laughs> yeah. So he, yeah, Joe talked to me about, he, he said he couldn't talk about it too much, but that they were really interested in seeing how blockchain, I think he said, ran, could ramify on in, in space. And so I think that he talked about automation a little bit and how with space exploration, there's going to be a lot of automation with robotic processes. And then you could put those on the blockchain or that would be a good use case for the blockchain. But I can't say that I, I understood it either. Yeah, we're going to keep discussing consensus and also this news about the layoffs. Um, but first, a quick word from our fabulous sponsors. Ready or not, the Financial Action Task Force anti-money laundering recommendations soon go into effect globally. If you handle cryptocurrencies, no matter where you do business, these new AML laws will apply to you. CypherTrace helps exchanges, ICOs, funds, brokerages, and regulators understand and manage crypto asset and compliance risks. Learn how to reduce your exposure and prepare now for tough new regulations. CypherTrace is securing the crypto economy. Learn more at cyphertrace.com slash unconfirmed. I'm speaking with Jeff Coughlin, staff writer at Forbes. So before we go to layoffs, I just, out of curiosity, so do you think that the timing of, because, so for listeners who didn't see this, Joe actually wrote a letter to employees last Friday night saying, hey, we're going to start focusing now. <laughs> um, and... And so I, you know, just because I know how things work uh, behind the scenes, I was just curious if you thought that maybe that was prompted by the fact that they knew this article was coming out, or do you think they, they really didn't know what you were going to say in the story? I don't think it was prompted by that. I think that, I think that timing was coincidental. Um, that's the sense I've gotten, gotten so far is that, yeah, it was, it was, it's really a, a coincidence. Okay. Well, your time, your timing is just impeccable or very lucky then in that regard, because obviously they did then announce 
we're recording Thursday, the day before this podcast comes out, that they actually are going to lay off 13% of employees. Do you, what, what do you have to say on that? Do you happen to know anything more than what's been reported? I don't, I don't know more than, um, than the story that came out earlier today. Um, <clears throat> it was a, a coin dust story on the, on the, um, on the layoffs. What I, when I last talked to Joe, it was Tuesday. He, I asked, I was asking about layoffs because as you noted, Laura, um, the Friday memo that he sent out, it was, you know, it, it kind of started to, to hint at that. They talked about reviewing expenses. Um, they talked about becoming, uh, having more of a focus on financial sustainability. And then he said in the article that he wasn't ruling it out. So I asked him on Tuesday, have you made a decision on layoffs? And he said, I haven't made a decision, but some other people at the company uh, may have decision, may be holding decisions in their mind. So at that point, I thought, okay, it, it does seem like they're going to lay people off. I, I, I didn't know when. And he mentioned the solutions group um, in the conversation too, and regions of the business that um, that weren't doing as well. And so he did, in the context of that conversation, mention the, the solutions group, which which is what. That's the consulting uh, arm where, you know, they help, essentially they help everyone from governments, like they've worked with the government of Dubai to help put, um, put different systems on the blockchain. They, they've worked with a consortium of banks to put transaction, to do commodities trade finance on the blockchain. Um, so they've done, um, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a basically a consulting group. Oh, and so... But that sounds to me like that would bring in revenue, but you're saying that that is probably going to get cut? I don't think the, um, I don't think certainly the whole group would get cut. I, and I do think they they bring in revenue. Um, I don't know how much. He would only say it brings in multiple tens of millions. And that also, that's not just traditional sales. That includes equity stakes they were taking in some of these consortiums that they were helping to uh, to build. And so, that was really vague in terms of how much business it is. But since he mentioned the consulting group in the context of the layoff conversation, I got, I just got the sense that, you know, that was, uh, that there would be layoffs there and, and I don't know for sure, but that's the sense I got. And then, um, I think they had about 250 people when most recently they had 250 people and they had gone from 30 to 250 people over the past year, that group. In that solutions group. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I assume, so when you spoke to him Tuesday, that was because the day the article, that was the day the article came out, but because he'd already written that letter, you were updating it. Is that what that was for? Yeah, essentially. Well, the the article came out Wednesday, so the day after, but... Um, oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. Right yeah. Because I was a little bit like, yeah, just thinking you probably closed that for the magazine more than a week ago, in which case the letter came out after you'd already sent the, the print publication to the, to the production. Is that. Um, it was actually, it closed um, very late on Monday night. So. Um, oh, okay. We, so yeah, you did get so that it, information into the mic. Okay. Nice. Yeah. A little bit, you know, the, the story was 99.5% done, um, but, but we were able to get um, some information into the, the print story. Okay. So how much of, this new intention to focus is a little, 
is a result of the downturn in the market, uh, like in particular, uh, the crypto markets, <laughs> Bitcoin and yeah. Ethereum, which at least I think make up the majority of Joe Logan's personal wealth? Yeah. So I think it's a significant factor. I asked Joe that too, and he didn't really answer directly, but I think it is a factor. I think if, if Ether were... Um, Doing well and and had you know hadn't fallen so much recently, I don't think that um, they would feel as much pressure to uh, to be tightening their belt and and letting some people go. And did, so, did you get any more sense about his personal wealth other than I mean, I know you were focused on consensus, but you know whether or not or how much he had suffered in this downturn. I didn't. I didn't. It's, you know, um, it's a really hard area to report on. And, um, I, and, you know, you probably remember, Laura, the challenge of the challenges of reporting this <laughs> and the, the uh, difficulties. I don't know if reporting is the word to use, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a very thorny and, and difficult thing to report on. And so um, for tons of reasons. And so, yeah, but I, I wasn't able to get um, a clearer view into into his holdings. Yeah, yeah. Well, so what do you think this a situation at Consensus says about the future for Ethereum? Are they related at all or are they not related? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't think that from what I, people I've talked to, and, and Joe also says this too, I mean, Consensus is certainly a... a a player in, in the Ethereum ecosystem, but I don't think it's like in the center, you know, I, I don't think, I think that, um, you know, again, they've done a ton for the ecosystem and a lot of people, you know, reinforce that with me, but wait, and, and but when you say a ton for the ecosystem, like what? Like the developer it's tools. Just infer, Infura and Metal, Metamask. Yeah. Okay. And so, Truffle so is just a, Infura and Metamask. Truffle is oh, one other. Yeah. That people okay. cite, cited a lot. It's, um, you know, helps people test their code. And, um, and so, yeah, people talked about that one a lot too. And I think, I think also probably just investing a lot in this space has given the space more attention that might be a way that they've helped the ecosystem. This is me hypothesizing a little bit, but, you know, putting a lot of money into it maybe has gotten more attention on the ecosystem. Yeah. Actually, the one thing that I would say is just for me as somebody who, you know, is kind of like in this world, I actually have always really liked their ethereal summits just out of all the crypto conferences. They're quite different. And for whatever reason, I, I just really like them a lot. They're they're not like 100% technology focused, but there is that technology aspect. Then there's kind of like other stuff going on where, you know, we're all whole people. We're not I mean, granted, yes, crypto has taken over my life, but I do have other interests. Um, so I feel like Ethereal is just kind of a little bit more fun than the average crypto conference in that way. So in that regard, like I feel like it's one of those things that could attract a, a slightly different type of person to the space. Like actually for one of them, I remember I did have a friend there and she was like, oh, wow, this is totally not as boring and geeky as I thought it would be. It was actually super interesting. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I could see that. I could, but anyway, I could see that from what I've heard and, and the keynote speeches I've watched. I actually, I couldn't go last year. I, um, 
my wife had a baby like a few days before. And so <laughs> I, I did not go last year. Good thing that you didn't go. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. But, um, but I could see that. Priorities. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. But, but, um, but sorry. So to go back to my question about whether or not this says anything about the future for Ethereum, what do you think about that? So yeah, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think that they're strongly tied. I don't think the fate of Ethereum is strongly tied to, um, the fate of consensus. I think, you know, the development team is, is, is completely separate. Um, and it's a big ecosystem. There are a lot of developers outside of consensus that are, that are interested in, in working on Ethereum. And so, yeah, I don't think the two are, are closely tied. I mean, I think that, I think it's, yeah. I think it goes the other way. Like, so in other words, if Ethereum is struggling in adoption and scalability is happening slower than people expect, then it hurts consensus because, um, you know, for obvious reasons, they're building everything on Ethereum. And so I think it kind of goes the other way, but I don't think that consensus, you know, having struggling necessarily means Ethereum is going to struggle in the same way. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Because if I look at just the sheer number of projects that reach out to me and want to chat, you know, so many of them are building on Ethereum. It's, it's really, it's just really obvious that there's a ton of activity there. And um, obviously, many of those are, well, some of them are consensus projects, but uh, many of them are not. So I agree that uh, it's just a small part of the Ethereum ecosystem. All right. Well, it's been so great having you on the show. Thanks for coming on Unconfirmed. Thanks so much, Laura. Really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about the topics we discussed, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast episode. New episodes of Unconfirmed come out every Friday. If you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you liked this episode, share it with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Raylan Galapali, Fractal Recording, Jenny Josephson, and Daniel Muss. Thanks for listening.